This is Demetrius Booth, known as the Lighthouse, constantly shining light into darkness, and you are listening to the Shadows Podcast. Howdy dowdy, Shadowites. Wait, John, do they even call themselves that? Mm, I don't know, Kirk, but they should. John, the commercial. Right. How many more times are you going to invest $5 in heated bean juice only to fizzle out faster than your New Year's resolution? Trust us, we've been there. During our days running 24-hour operations, the struggle was real. That's why, as veterans, we decided to create the game changer that we wish we had. Sisu Stamina Energy Chews. Designed with precision. And science. Sisu Stamina is your take-anywhere, do-anything fuel that provides immediate, smooth energy, razor focus, and compounding health benefits, all for about a buck a serving. Head over to ULAUniverse.com. Use Shadows 10 at checkout to save site-wide so you can conquer your shadows today and forge a brighter tomorrow. All right, everybody, I want to welcome you to another episode of The Shadows Podcast. I'm your host, Trip Bodenheimer, and today I have with me, Rachel Birch. Welcome to The Shadows. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And I love the description I read about your podcast, Sex in the City and Jackass Had a Baby. It would be love before 100. So yes. we will definitely unpack your podcast, everything about it. For our listeners out there, let them know where you're located. I'm in Orange County, California. Okay. So we're going to be neighbors by the time this episode drops. Um, so <laughs> very much looking forward to getting out there. But before we get into your story, I definitely want to put you through the rapid fire questions. Okay. So this is I can handle it. For, for what? Thank you. For whatever reason, people get super stressed out about it and they're fun, easy questions. I used to be an attorney, so I'm used to giving and receiving rapid fire. Oh, questions. geez. Okay. All right. That changes the dynamics of this interview. <laughs> uh, okay. So first thing, book recommendation for our listeners. Book recommendation. Um, so I'm all personal development. That's all I have here. Um, so I would say, since it's the Shadows podcast, I will say um, Codependent No More is a game changer mm. um, and The Untethered Soul. Okay. And those will be listed under our resource recommendations. Next one for you. Most embarrassing moment. Oh God. Um, just one. Uh, <laughs> okay. Um, so I do stand up comedy and, uh, I, I work with a spirituality coach who happens to be a former stand up comedian. And, um, he recommended that I, can only get better by being willing to bomb. And I kind of misheard that as purposely bomb. So two times ago when I went up on stage, I just like totally, it was tainted. awful. Yeah, totally tanked it on purpose. And it was probably worse than, I mean, I got laughs, but like at the end I was just like, okay, I'm going to go now and just like walked off. Normally you're supposed to have like a big close and I just yeah. was just like, I'm ready to, this is awful. I hate this, but I survived it, but it was definitely my most embarrassing moment. It reminds me, are you ever watching Practical Jokers? Um, I've heard of it, but I don't think I've watched it. Okay. There's, there's a scene where one of the punishments, they have to just bomb a stand-up comedy thing. And it's, it's hard to watch. And at the end, he just kind of didn't leave. It was hard to live. It was hard to live. So, yeah. Okay. Uh, you could have one job for a day, what would it be? 
one job for a day. Um, I'd be Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift. Okay. One job you would never want to have. Oh, um, uh, something involving cleaning toilets. Okay. So cleaning toilets and song on your playlist that you would be ashamed for other people to know you love as much as you do. Um, <laughs> oh God. Um, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm embarrassed to say it, but we, um, we all have one. I feel like I have to, the first one that popped in, um, uh, into my mind is, um, me so horny. Okay. Really all right. Okay. And final question. Dinner for three with three historical figures who are no longer with us. Who do you break bread with? Oh, um, Robin Williams, uh, Marilyn Monroe, and Wayne Dyer. Okay. That's a good group. Well, you survived our rapid fire questions. And now we're going to start unpacking your journey. So what was Rachel's childhood like? Oh, my childhood. Um, I had a really good childhood. You know, I grew up in Newport Beach, um, California. Uh, had, um, I didn't, I mean, I didn't have a lot of friends. I didn't have a lot of confidence, you know, but as far as I knew, I had food. I had, you know, some, my family would go on vacations. Both my parents were together and loved me. Um, so like, kind of like anything on paper, I had a very good childhood. Uh, but if you kind of dive deeper into the shadows of my childhood, um, you know, I was thinking about how, like, I was born basically into tragedy, I guess, if you want to call it that. My my grandparents on my mom's side were Holocaust survivors. So my grandpa mm. was, yeah, my grandpa was married and had a had a daughter, a baby, um, three-year-old daughter. And uh, they lived in Poland and both of their families were, for the most part, killed. And my grandfather's wife and baby were killed. And my grandparents both escaped through the sewer system into the forest in Poland and didn't know each other, but met in the forest and fell in love while fighting the Nazis. They were part of the resistance. And so then came to America and had my mom and her sister. And so, um, you know, you're kind of raised with, my mom was raised by these people that had been through this like horrifying, I can't even imagine time in their lives. Oh and so, um, you know, I, I grew up with a very loving grandparents on both sides, but still they had this kind of trauma in their back, in their past. And then when I was 12, um, my six-year-old brother passed away in front of me in like a choking accident. It is oh like, gosh. Like burned in my mind the images of it happening, the whole thing. I can't remember much of my childhood, but that, like, I could take you through it step by step. You said you were what, 12? 12, yeah. And, um, and that really also kind of shaped, you know, who I was and how I grew up. And my dad asked me recently, he said, just like 
a month ago when we went to dinner, he was like, did we get you the therapy that you needed when Brett passed away? That was my brother's name. And I said, you know, mom put me in therapy, but I said I didn't like it. So she took me out. And I said to him, but you lost your child. Like, I can't even imagine. I have two boys. I can't even imagine what it would be like trying to survive after that. I said, I had no expectation at this point. I have no expectation that like, you know, you were in the mindset that you were able to get me all the things that I needed at that time. And so I would say for my childhood, like in a nutshell, it was a great childhood. I didn't get what I needed. Like, I don't think any of us get what we need, but nobody was to blame for that. Like I, there's nobody that I look to and say like, well, you didn't do this or you didn't do that. I don't, I don't know how, I mean, I'm sure my kids, I love on them constantly. I'm sure they're not getting everything that they need. You know, I'm sure they're going to grow up and need to read all the, you know, books that I recommend to people. But, um, so yeah, I, you know, looking back at my childhood now from where I'm at, I just go, I'm so grateful for so much of it. And, there was a lot of bad things and a lot of hard things and a lot of, you know, um, who I am today, it shaped me. And I had to do a lot of work to undo some of that stuff, but yeah. basically it was, yeah, it, I'm not sure if that answers your question, but it kind of was like a pretty good childhood, but it, you know, kind of put me through the ringer a little bit. Yeah, I, I can relate. I, my, my father passed away in front of me when I was 11 and happened like right in front of me and then my sister passed away a couple of years later she was actually killed a couple of years later and but i tell people like i was i had a blessed childhood outside of you know obviously outside of that but it did help shape me a lot but there was a lot of lingering effects that carried over into me as an adult and like you said thank god for self-help books and mental health and all these other things but what was one of the lingering effects that you noticed when you got older from that tragedy and first of all thank you for sharing that story and I'm so sorry to hear that yeah yeah I was gonna say same for you both your dad and your sister you know it's so hard and I can relate um well I think one of the things was uh that I blamed myself for a long I, I kind of um realized that I you know I was an attorney and then I went into coaching and even with my podcast, there's this like savior complex that I have a little bit. Um, I really want to save people. Like I just yeah. want to help them. Um, I couldn't save my brother. I, um, I watched people try and I also blamed myself for a while. Cause I thought, well, if only I had done this, then that wouldn't have happened. And then he wouldn't, that wouldn't, he wouldn't have ended up, you know, dying. And so, um, you know, wanting to save people is a great thing. And it has been a detriment to me too, because a lot of the times I will put my own needs aside um, or uh, I will not put up the boundaries that I need to put up in friendships because I'm yeah. like, you know, I used to joke that my love language was unsolicited advice. And if you've ever been the recipient of unsolicited advice, it like, you want to punch the person in the face. You're not receiving it as love, you know? And so I've had to stop doing that. And then some people get mad that you don't care because they think that you're, you know, not throwing up your unsolicited advice all over them. So I think the self-awareness is the gift, but the lingering kind of 
piece has been this um, savior complex, honestly. And you said something too, that just, I mean, made the hair on my arm stand up because just the uh, similarities of things that I've been through, I blame myself when my father passed away. And I lived with that for a long time. I, uh, he was, I talk about it on one of my episodes, but he was, uh, I would catch him like breathing in a paper bag and he was having issues with his heart, but he was like, Shh, keep this between us. Don't tell your mom. And I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah, you're my friend. I'm not going to say nothing. But then for years I blamed myself. And like you said, I wanted to be a people fixer, a savior for others and forgiveness is really important, but self-forgiveness is so hard to do because we're the worst critics of ourselves, um and we're the we're the roughest on ourselves. when did you finally like forgive yourself or have you even gotten to that point um i definitely have uh what happened was my brother came to me and asked me if i wanted to look at some pictures with him or play with him and i was like i'm tired i want to take a nap and so i laid down in my grandparents den and took a nap and he went and played with our cousin on the drive up I, he had this little it's it, it's um and i always tell this to parents too so part of this will be awareness those little round like rubber bouncy balls those super yeah. bouncy balls they're exactly the size of the windpipe that's what he choked on and um i found one of those balls in the car and i hit it like in the little arm of the passenger seat of the car on the drive up to LA because we were in Orange County. And um, I guess he went out to the car and got it. And then that's what he put in his mouth and choked on. And I kept thinking, if only I played with him, why, why was I like such a jerk that I didn't want to play with my little brother, you know, like older siblings or, and I talked to my mom and I didn't even say any of that stuff, but I was just talking about how I, you know, felt I was tired or whatever. She's like, you had a headache the whole time, the whole drive up, you were complaining that you had a headache. Like you were sick basically. And that, and even if it had been my prerogative to not play with him, I still wouldn't have wanted to be like, if it was my child, I would tell them like, that wasn't your fault. Right. But knowing that I was actually not feeling well, gave me a little bit more grace for myself to be able to say like, you couldn't have saved him. He would have, he was constantly putting things in his mouth. Like, you know, like little kids that age, they do. My son does. And um, so that gave me a little space to have grace for myself. Like, oh, what was I feeling in that moment? What was I doing? And um, not, you know, the other, the other piece of kind of not taking responsibility for other people's actions, their beliefs, like any of that kind of stuff has definitely been something I had to learn over time too. Like it wasn't my responsibility to keep things out of his mouth, you know? Yeah. Um, and so I definitely have gotten to the place where I have, it's not even forgiveness. It's actually um, awareness that like, that wasn't, that wasn't my job. You know, I do that a lot. Like in looking for a relationship, I will, if I feel you know, I'm looking at something, I feel disappointed and I'll think, gosh, I wish I had a partner. It would be like, that's not his job. His job's not to like, you know, do that. That's your job. Like, and so reassigning responsibility, you know, Tony Robbins says freedom is taking 100% responsibility. So, um, I think when we take responsibility, we can let other people have responsibility for their actions and their stuff. And so, um, 
that has been a big piece of it. Like almost saying, I don't need to forgive myself because I didn't, forgiveness has this air of there's, I did something wrong. There's something to forgive. And it's more like, I accept that that, I, I, I misunderstood that that was my responsibility and, and it wasn't. Gotcha. So growing up, you know, graduating high school and everything, what were some of your aspirations? Did you think you were going to be uh, an attorney, a comedian, a podcast host? Um, well, definitely not a podcast host. I, yeah. um, so I like to say that growing up, I was brainwashed by um, my dad and Matlock because my dad was an attorney and we would watch Matlock together. And I was like, I want to be like Matlock and my dad. And so I would take tests that would say, you know, whatever the assessment tests said, I would ignore them because I was like, I'm going to be a lawyer. I'm going to be a lawyer. Like growing up, my high school boyfriend, he was like, I'm going to be a sea captain and drive, you know, the ferry from Balboa Island from like one side. It's like a three minute boat ride. And he was like, that's what I'm going to do. And I was like, great, I'm going to be a lawyer. Like, that's what I'm going to do. So it was, I knew just from whatever, 11, that that's what I wanted to be. Um, and I also knew that I wanted to do comedy, but I thought I was funny. I didn't think anyone else really would think I was funny. Um, and then in high school, I was voted best sense of humor. And I was shocked because I'm, I'm typically, well, until recently, I'm super shy. Like I don't, I haven't in the past really, really put there. Yeah. More of like an introvert. I'm now I'm like an extroverted introvert, but, um, I didn't know enough people knew me and then knew that I was funny to like actually vote me in a class of over 300 people, you know, best sense of humor. So that gave me kind of a little bit of like, oh, you know, other people think I'm funny. So I could, I could actually do this. Um, but I didn't imagine that I would want to like actually get up on stage and, and do that in front of people. But, um, yeah, so I, I kind of knew the direction I was going. How did your attorney route go? Did you assume what law school did you go to? I went to Loyola in um, Los Angeles. Loyola Marymount? Um, it it's related to um, Loyola Marymount. It's not on the same campus, but um, the claim to fame is OJ's dream team all went there. So Johnny Cochran and all them. Um, yeah, yeah. Johnny Cochran, Robert Shapiro. Um, so, uh, and I I performed law. Yeah, it feels like performing law. I practiced law for ten years. So I did business litigation for five years, and then I was general counsel of a big family of corporations for five years. Okay. My father was a defense attorney. Okay. So, yeah. Um, and what made you decide to kind of stray away from that? So um, when I was general counsel, number one, it was so stressful. I went to the emergency room twice uh, thinking that I was having a heart attack and I was actually having panic attacks. And I was only 33 thinking I was having like heart attacks yeah. um, because it was so stressful. The work was so stressful. Um, but what actually made it okay for me to finally leave in my mind was my now 14 year old son, when he was 18 months, he was diagnosed with severe developmental delays and um, some other stuff. And so I decided to go back to school and get my health coaching certification so I could learn about nutrition. And uh, 
So I went back to school to in a quest to like help him with his nutrition and kind of help cure him, which eventually we did. He he he's caught up and he's, you know, just where he's supposed to be um, pretty quickly. But I left the law to really tend to him and his needs. And then when I found this path of nutrition, they taught a lot about um, that your health is made up of not only what you eat, but your relationships, your job, your spirituality, your exercise. And um, for a minute, I was a health coach. And then I became a life coach because I really liked all the other pieces of kind of uh, what health was, holistic health. Do you still do that to this day? Um, A little bit. I stopped taking clients other than referrals uh, recently just because of the energy exchange got to be too much for me. Again, it was that savior thing. I just like really wanted to get people to their highest, best place. And you can't want that more than someone wants it for themselves. So yeah, um, got a little tiring. And I, that's how I found podcasting. I thought I can help people from afar without having to be in their like energy and all up in their business. Yeah. So before I get into the podcasting piece, uh, talk about your, your stand-up comedy career and how you finally, I mean, cause that's something that I know a lot of people who are absolutely hilarious, but you know, if you're like, Hey, go, go, go get on stage with a mic. It's probably like, Oh, okay. Yeah. I don't know about that. Yeah. So I had to take a class. Um, it was a six week class. And when you move to California, if you're one of those people that wants to do that, I can hook you up with. The right oh, I would love people. to do it. I would. Yeah. I'm, I'm the funniest. My daughter thinks I'm the funniest person, but that's about it. Okay. So. Well, I can help you with that. Um, but basically I went through this six week course that teaches you how to take like, so I have the notes in my phone and anytime I'm driving and I think of something like, like my latest set is all about um, dating. And I was driving and I was cracking myself up with what, how I was envisioning my, if I was to describe my dating app profile to someone, um, I said, uh, I was like, Jewish cowgirl. Like I'm a Jewish cowgirl. That's how I would describe it. And then I was like, oh, that's good. Okay. There's a joke there. So I wrote that down. And then I was like, okay, let me, and I actually took it to my parents and I was like, okay, Jewish cowgirl sounds like a sexual position, but we got to put an adjective in there. Like what kind of sexual position? And they're like helping me come up with like different adjectives. And I was like smothering because like Jewish mothers are known for smothering. So I was like Jewish cowgirl sounds like a really smothering sexual position. So that's like kind of like putting the joke together and then with the right timing and the right pace, like it's a real, you know, it it gets a big laugh and sometimes an applause um, from the audience. So you can be funny. You can say a funny joke to a friend and you just write it down and you're like, okay, that's something. There's like something to build on there. And then you, you know, create a set based on different things. Like I used to do before COVID, I used to do a jokes about being a hypochondriac and about my marriage and about drug commercials and how like ridiculous they were. And so um, I pieced it all together. But then after COVID, like everyone's a hypochondriac a little bit, you know, like in the sense of like, we all went through this roller coaster of being afraid and then being not afraid and whatever it was that was being, you know, told to us. 
And so it was kind of like, it's not funny to wipe down the microphone with a, you know, like a, a wipe anymore. Cause it used to be funny in 2019. It was funny, but now it's not funny. So a lot of my jokes, and then I got divorced. So I didn't really joke about being married. Um, but I took the jokes about the pharmaceutical commercials. And I like, was like, mm. Oh, my dating app reads like a pharmaceutical drug commercial, like all these pretty <laughs> pictures to distract you from the facts, you know, and like the side effects of dating me, stuff like that. So you just have to kind of piece together what is funny and, and, and then start writing the filler and nothing's going to be funny when you say it like this, like when I'm on a date and someone's like, Oh, tell me a joke. I'm like, you have to drink. We need like 10 more people to sit here and be an audience. Like there's something about being on stage that creates the right environment for things to be funny. Like the same joke that's just kind of like a chuckle or like kind of like a smile or just a dead stare from one person when you're on stage telling it with the right energy, like it cracks up the whole room. You know, I've performed in front of 300 people at the improv and um, wow. yeah, it's definitely an energy piece. Um, I have like a kind of like a persona that's more, I don't know if you know who Bill Burr is. He's a big comedian. He's very kind of smug. Um, mm -hmm. I kind of try to emulate him a little bit on stage. So, which is funny because as a positive life coach being like a smug kind of jerky comedian, yeah. um, but you gotta, you got, you know, there's, there's attitude and timing. It's not even as much about your material. It's about your delivery and, Don't say that. you know, and timing is so important. You can kill your own joke if you don't have the right timing. Well, that audience is really important. Like even trying to do something like with this right here, like virtual. And I've noticed it from teaching and I'll say a joke or something teaching and virtual, it doesn't land, but, or you see the, <laughs> and there's no noise and you're like, Oh, I'm not feeding off of that. But when you have the audience laugh and it just fuels it. Um, so and you were mentioning the day, how is that when, when you go on a date and someone knows you're a comedian, is it like, they just think you've just got joke after joke ready for them? Yeah. I mean, some people do. I kind of, I used to have it on my profile and then I stopped because um, I learned you're supposed to be mysterious. So you can't like, you know, overshare your whole life story on a first date or you don't get a second date. So I try to hold back and not share all the details. Um, but I just let them think you're funny because over a panini, let them think you're funny. Yeah. That's something you say. Yeah. Um, so talk to us about your podcast love before 100. So talk to us about kind of the genesis of your podcast, how you, cause I always like hearing like how people came up with their ideas and then uh, let our listeners know a little bit about it. Okay. So I used to have a podcast called the transformation maven and um, I had about five seasons of it, 67 episodes. I interviewed a ton of people. I streamed comedy. I did a lot of solo casts. And I decided, okay, we're going to do season six. I'm going to come back and I'm going to do maybe one or two episodes about dating with a personal development twist. I think you can turn anything into a personal development journey. I shared on that podcast about every area of my life except dating. Um, having two boys and just wanting to be respectful of my ex-husband. Like I just didn't want to be out there kind of talking about dating. It felt, 
I don't know, just more private than I wanted mm -hmm. to share. Um, and I met this guy on an airplane and, um, we, I wouldn't even call it dating because dating's so weird. Now. I would, no, I would call it dating. He wouldn't call it dating. So I met this guy on an airplane and we whatevered for a little while. And it was after my divorce. It was like the first kind of situation that I had after my divorce. So, um, I had a lot of anxiety because it was a long distance thing. And I started thinking about, okay, how do I, if I was talking to a client about wanting, you know, a goal, how do they get their mind off things? And it was like, we'll put together a list. Like I had a woman that wanted a babe to have a baby. And it was kind of like, what are all the things that you can't do if you have a baby? like travel places. What are the things that you would want to do if you, so it was kind of like, okay, if I'm in, if I had a relationship, what are the things that I wouldn't necessarily be able to do or, and I kept, I, there weren't a lot of things that I thought about except, well, I wouldn't be dating a lot of different guys. So I started to put together a list of like, I want to go on a date with an Irishman. I want to go on a date with a Fireman. I want to go on a date with like a B-list celebrity. I started writing out this like scavenger hunt list. So um, that was just for me for fun. Like I'm just going to put this like list together so that it'll take my mind off of this long distance thing that's not really going the direction I want it to go. Meanwhile, I'm trying to relaunch my podcast and I'm trying to find a, a new virtual assistant to help me because mine had retired. And I, I do this Google search and I come up with this, I find this guy and he is the former producer for the show, The Bachelor Australia. So the, the reality show, the dating reality show. So I have a call with him to tell him all the things I'm thinking about doing for my show. And he goes, you know, this bucket list idea that you have is really intriguing. What if you made the whole podcast that? And I thought, okay, I mean, that's definitely an angle that I can sell personal development. Yeah and tell my stories. And um, so I, I said, I, I, I want it to be like part rom-com, part reality show, part TED talk. I want to marry comedy, but like personal development. I still want there to be a spiritual journey component. I want to like be able to teach people about personal growth by going through the process myself. And I love storytelling. And, um, yeah. and so that's kind of how it was born. And the reason I the main thing for me was accountability because dating is so awful that I would, if I didn't have the podcast to keep me going, I would quit. Like, I would just be like, you know what? I'm just going to be single. It's fine. But, um, my, I call the podcast, my kind of like virtual wingman. It's like, I, it keeps me in the game. Yeah. And how'd you get the name for it? So that was having a conversation with my producer who I like magically manifested because he's amazing. Um, it's kind of a play on the list that I had has these different points values. The more, yeah. you know, daring it is, the more points I get because I get myself rewards. Like you get an iPad when you get to 20 points. I don't share that in the podcast, but that's basically what the points are about. Like a human and Chuck E. Cheese. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I'm like, okay. <laughs> A date with an Irishman is four points. Like, you know, that that's like off the chart. So, um, but also it's kind of a play on dating in your forties because it's love before I turn 100 or get to a hundred points, whichever happens first. 
Now I gotta ask, what's the highest on the what's the highest point you can obtain? Five. I I put five because I'm like, otherwise the game's over. It's gonna be over real fast. So yeah, it used to be 10 when it was like just me. I was playing on my own, but, uh, when I actually tried to make it a thing, I was like, let's bring the points down to five because otherwise we're going to be out pretty soon. Okay. Okay. And where can people find your podcast? It's wherever your podcast is. It's on Apple. It's on Spotify. It's on YouTube. It's, um, everywhere that people listen to podcasts. So I, I want to talk to you about this because people always, I always get asked by people and there's several podcasts out there that I help get started. And when they're always like, I want to do a podcast, it seems like so much fun. It's probably so easy to do it. Talk about how much time goes into podcasting. For me, a lot of time, a lot of time goes into podcasting. Because for me, I, I used my old podcast, I would just get on and I would just talk or interview or whatever. But the, the episodes where I don't have a guest, I will write it out just like a comedy set. And I will rewrite it and I will go through eight, nine, 10 versions of writing it um, and then recording it. I don't want it to sound like I'm reading it. So I re-record it multiple times. Those are the worst. Yeah. Yeah. Um, My producer spends a ton of time on it because he puts sound effects in and music and, you know, he edits it. So it's super. I edit it first. I listen to make sure that I'm not just like babbling on because... I'm a babbler. Um, So I will edit myself and cut a bunch of stuff out first. Uh, I mean, so much time, so much time because I want it to be good. You know, I, I really have the listener in mind. Um, I want people that are on any journey to know that they're not alone. And so I want to incentivize them to listen. You know, I've had sponsors come and ask about a network, you know, kind of um, acquiring the podcast. I'm like the, the money that I would make versus the disruption to the listeners of the story. Um, oh. Like I really, you know, it started, it started as something I had to do. It was definitely an ego project, but it has become my way of being of service to people and um, saving, being the savior in a little tiny, yeah. tiny way. Um, and so, yeah, I, it, it, it takes a lot of time and, there are, you know, millions and millions of podcasts out there. So if you want to cut through the noise and have people actually hear your message, you got to um, write your message for them and know that it's going to, you know, take take time and energy and effort. But it's worth it, you know, to, to hear from people that it's impacting their lives. It's definitely worth it. So I would say do it, but make sure that you're ready for the commitment and also that you're doing it for the right reasons. Yeah, it's really rewarding when you have someone tell you like, hey, either A, you had no idea they listened to it. And they're like, I love your podcast or hey, I'm a fan of your podcast. But um, if someone had phrased it to me one time, they're like, you never know who's listening. Like when people choose to listen to a podcast or something, it's usually really intimate to them. Like they're in their car, they're in the gym, they're just relaxing, they're laying out on a beach or something, and they choose to listen to your podcast. Um, That's crazy to me just to think about that someone spends all that money to go to Myrtle beach and they're, they're laying there and they're listening to me laying on the sand. It's just kind of, I don't know, kind of, kind of mind blowing to think about it. Um, the editing piece, I like talking about this because when, whenever I listen to an episode, especially like with a guest, I've had, 
150 episodes. I've had 150 guests that sound amazing. And every episode, I'm like, oh, I sound horrible. That's how I sound. Do you ever do that when you go back and listen to it? So I used to, this is embarrassing. This is an embarrassing question, Trip. Um, I used to, <laughs> and so many people told me, God, you have such a soothing voice. Like I listened to it oh. going to sleep and yeah. you have like a voice for radio and you have, that was like a joke. My grandpa used to say, like, you have a face for radio. And uh, so now I like it when they say a voice for radio, but it, so many people have told me that, that um, like, I'll actually listen and I'm like, yeah, okay. I can see what they're saying. Like, that sounds good. My seven-year-old that I found him, he had turned on the podcast this morning and he was like, you have a new episode. And I'm like, no, this is not for you to listen to. Um, but I, he's listening and I was like, do you think it sounds like me? And he goes a little bit. Yeah, it sounds like you, but a little bit different. So, I mean, you can't even really tell what your actual voice sounds like. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I pick up on, like, I have that, like, AM radio voice that I don't like when it's like, you know, hey, everybody, welcome to the shed. The first couple episodes, I was like, who, who the hell is that? Like, that's not me. So I've tried to make it more just real whenever I'm talking or even if I do my my recordings that I put at the beginning because there have been times where I've listened and I'm like what the hell was I saying right there why did I even what where was I going with that or why did I need to interject that and I'll cut that out and that never sees the light of day I have probably I've definitely had that I've definitely oh, yeah. had those moments and then I and actually I'll hear I heard one recently and I was like oh I hate that I said that but it was like a moment in in time instead of the the whole episode some people are like i can't stand the sound of my own voice and i'm like wow that must yeah. be like you know terrible kind of way to yeah self. but if you, yes, if you say fun. that don't do a podcast yeah exactly yeah no it, it, i agree with what you said when someone's like oh your voice sounds great your voice is is so easy to listen to i'm like well let me sing and that'll be a <laughs> completely different story um the end of the day, like, what do you want your legacy to be? Oh, um, I mean, definitely my boys. I want them to like be confident. I want them to feel loved. I want them to be good people and um, be happy. Um, that would be huge. I saw, I heard a Joel Osteen um, podcast once that was talking about the mission and people's missions and I'm Jewish. So I don't know all the references, but there was someone important besides Jesus and their mom. And he was talking about their mom and how their mom's whole kind of mission and purpose in life was to raise her son to be this important person in the Bible. And I thought, I like that. It takes the pressure off. Like I can just really make sure that my kids are good people that are going to kind of, you know, do good things. And um, so right now it's them. And then, you know, I do hope that the podcast uh, can, my podcast can, I mean, I can't imagine because it's just kind of like a silly little like show, but like to have, you know, I do have single moms that message and say that it helped them and that it inspires them. And, um, and I hear, I have men that listen, I have married people that listen, because it's, you know, I follow the hero's journey for the podcast so that it really can um, inspire people to take action and step out of their comfort zone. And, you know, if I can do a little bit of that and have a ripple effect, 
I'd love to have, I don't need to be the, you know, face of anything, but to have a ripple effect where, you know, someone listens, it makes their day or they go do something and all the ripples that come out of that, that would be pretty cool. I think. Yeah. Just thinking of people that you don't actually hear from that, you know, they're having a bad day and they listen to your podcast and they can laugh and kind of get their mind away from, you know, to spend what's going on in their real life for momentary, you know, amount of time because of your, what you're doing with the podcast. And that's, that's the ones, the ripples that you may never see. Yeah, um, that's and that's, that's the crazy part of, of doing this is you never have any idea who's listening. Do you ever check out like the demographics, like the overseas or, and you're yeah. like, wow, I got, a, I got a listener in Thailand. Like who in the yes. world? Yes. Isn't that, that's cool. Yeah. I hit the charts in Hungary and I was like, oh my God. I told my son, I was like, I'm on the charts in Slovakia. Isn't that cool? And he, his response was, he's a teenager. So he goes, yeah, real cool. You're spreading the globe like coronavirus. I was like, thank you. That's awesome. You have such respect for your mom. But, um, but then later I could hear him telling his friends. So I know he was, he was impressed by it. Yeah. But, as a, that was a front. Yeah. It's pretty cool. I it, I do like seeing, and it's interesting because it's not, you don't even need a huge impact to show up on charts or to, um, you know, when I look at the charts and I see that I'm above like Chris Harrison, the host of The Bachelor or Michelle Obama's podcast or um, Glennon Doyle, I'm kind of like, oh my gosh, I'm above these people for a minute, right? It's not forever, but it's for a minute. And it's like, you don't even need that much to really get there. And I feel like that's such a cool thing to be able to um, share with people that do want to start a podcast is like, you know, you just need a couple people. You just need someone to mm -hmm. share somewhere. I mean, I had a guest and she, she used to be a pop star in Thailand and we actually did hit the charts in Thailand, which was pretty cool. So um yeah, I, I, I do it, you know, like the ego part of me that, that wants to know, why am I doing yeah. this? Like gets excited about that kind of stuff, you know? We, I think Germany was the second, and I, I think a large part of that was because of a bunch of military friends I know in Germany, that was the second country that I was highest on. So I started saying we were the, uh, David Hasselhoff of podcast. So that was our, <laughs> that was our tagline for a while there, but um, yeah, folks, well, I'm definitely. Honored. I'm honored to be on the David Hasselhoff. The, yeah, exactly. There you go. Yeah, folks, definitely go check her out. Love Before 100 on all podcast platforms. And like, what's next for you? Are you going to be doing a book or anything like that? Um, I get asked that a lot. Honestly, I my my hope is to um pitch the podcast as a sitcom to be oh. kind of so. That's hopefully what's nice. next. At least yeah. uh, trying to get it to be a sitcom is what's next for me. There's there's not one with a podcast that I can recall. Yeah, so there you go. Uh, what final comments you got for our listeners? Um, persistence. It's like the most important thing. There's a um, there's a chapter in Thinking Grow Rich called Persistence, and um, Bob Proctor said, read it every single day at 530 in the morning for 90 days straight. And uh, um, at the time I, I saw him do a talk and he said, to find two other friends in your time zone, call, do a call every morning at 530. And I did that a couple of years ago through Thanksgiving, through Christmas, through New Year's. Um, 
and it changed my life. I was like, oh, now I understand persistence. Now I understand that there's no quitting. You just keep going till you get there. Like you just keep going. And so um, if you're somebody that starts things and quits easily, or you want to keep going, or you have any doubts, I would give yourself the challenge of 90 days of persistence and it will change your life too. Or just call you at 530 for 90 days. <laughs> yeah, just call me. <laughs> yeah. Well, folks, like I said, one more time, uh, definitely go check her out. Love before 100. We'll have the link in the episode description. And always, if you like what we're doing here on the Shadows Podcast, whether you're in Thailand, Germany, wherever you're listening to us, go over to the shadowspodcast.com. I've made it really easy for you. Click on leave a review. And we have the link to Spotify and Apple Podcasts. You can leave a review on there, or you can just leave one on the site. And we greatly appreciate that. That helps with all the algorithms out there continuing to spread the word as to what we're doing. And if you really want to leave a message, go on there and tell us which episode resonated with you the most. I love hearing that personally, seeing which episode impacted people. So uh, leave us a review. Greatly appreciate it. And until next time, we'll see you next week on another episode of The Shadows Podcast.